You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Jonathan coming to us from Florida, where he is starting off our tour of spring training camps, and we're bringing you reports from all 30 camps over the course of this month. Uh, He had a chance to sit down and talk to Detroit's dynamic duo of Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. We will hear that on this episode. He also had a chance to talk to Blue Jays infield prospect Jordan Groshans. We'll listen to that as well. And uh, some interesting information came out over the weekend regarding uh, MLB's proposal of an international draft. Uh, really the first details that we heard about this, and it's pretty interesting. Uh, we will talk about that, and we will wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. Jonathan, where are you? You wouldn't tell us last week. <laughs> I am very Bradenton slash Sarasota. Um, basically found you know, right near the, the airport, and it's kind of equidistant between Pirates Camp in, in Bradenton and uh, Orioles camp in Sarasota. So you have hit now Yankees camp, Tigers camp, Blue Jays camp, Phillies, Pirates, on your way to Orioles, and you have remaining Braves, Rays, Twins, and Red Sox. And uh, how's it been? Because I, I mean, this is really what the first time in a, in a couple of years that you've been. Does it feel like it's the first time that you've really been full-fledged back to kind of doing your job as you've grown accustomed to it? To, you know? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's true, but it's, it's a little bit surreal uh, just because, you know, the circumstances, uh, you know, typically when we will run around and spend time in minor league camp and, and we're, you know, that's it, no one else is paying any attention or, you, you know, let's say you have free reign of the place, but you know, you, you get with the farm director and it's all coordinated that way. And this is all that's going on. So um, a little more attention, uh, things have to be uh, planned and organized a little bit more. Uh, but in terms of the, like the, the, the way that we typically cover spring training, a lot of it's the same, you know, good conversations with farm directors, interviews with players. Uh, they haven't really gotten to, um, playing games outside of that one intra-squad scrimmage that, that I saw the the Tigers playing, uh, that's going to start up mostly next week. Uh, although I think the, the Philly, I'm sorry, the Blue Jays and the Tigers are playing uh, this week uh, a little bit, but uh, that'll get going next week. So it's mostly been, you know, live BPs and bullpens and, and defensive work and things like that. But I've done this first leg enough times where that's often been the case uh, where there, you know, there aren't games. Uh, so yeah, you know, long, long answer to your question. It does feel much closer to normal. I was going to say, Jonathan, just when Jason was rattling off your teams and I know you're doing the Orioles tomorrow it was giving me deja vu because I did of those six teams. I did all, I did five of those. I did everybody but the pirates on my last spring training trip right before the pandemic hit. Cause I did not make it to Arizona that year before things got shut down, right. but I did Yankees, Tigers, Blue Jays, Phillies, Orioles. Um, and, and then that was that. And in fact, just looking at the players you interviewed, I interviewed Riley green and Jordan Groshans back in 2020. Um, so uh, it, it's bringing back good memories because, I mean, spring training is a fun time, and we obviously didn't get to do it last year. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hitting Arizona, uh, I guess, about 10 days from now. I'm about a week and a half away, um, and, and hopefully we'll have all of my top 30 blurbs written before I, I get on an airplane. So, And in between there, uh, Sam Dykstra will be visiting Nationals, Astros, Cardinals, Marlins, Mets, Camps. Uh, and then uh, once Jim returns, 
uh, from his trip, uh, Sam's going to head out to Arizona and hit Kansas City, Seattle, San Diego, Milwaukee, and Arizona camps. And um, Jonathan, so far on your trip, I know you know you started off. We said last week you started off big uh, with Anthony Volpe, maybe the kind of prospect in baseball with the most helium, or one of them anyway. Uh, and then Jason Dominguez, who always gets all kinds of attention. And then from there, saw Torkelson and Riley Green, the highest-ranked uh, hitting combo among prospects in baseball. Um, and then Blue Jays, Phillies, and Pirates you visited so far. Anything or a few things in particular that have stood out to you or, or jumped out or been, been uh, especially notable to you in those visits? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I'll, uh, I'll kind of echo the, the beat report that I, that I filed and posted today. Um, more than anything, I, I feel old, you know, because the farm directors I'm talking to are guys that I covered as prospects. And it, that's been a little unsettling. Um, and granted they're, you know, on the younger end, but you know, the fact that John Baker is, you know, the he's in his second season now, uh, starting a second season as the Pirates farm director, and I covered him in the Fall League. And Ryan Garko, uh, uh, you know, I saw him at Tigers camp, and I covered him in the College World Series. And you've got Don Mattingly's kid Preston, and I remember when he was drafted, and I remember him as a pro. He's the Phillies farm director. A lot of new, a lot of new names, new blood, new ideas. Uh, uh, so I, I've enjoyed a lot of the those conversations. Uh, Joe Sclafani is now the Blue Jays farm director, uh, had been in their player development, you know, on their player development staff the last few years. Uh, another guy who was a minor league player for a number of years. Like that, that was just a very enjoyable conversation. And, you know, one of the good things about these Q&As that we're doing with prospects, it, it gives you a chance to, you know, dig in a little bit more than the two minutes, you know, talking to somebody after a uh, after an, a folly game uh, about you know some fun things uh, about what they're working on things like that uh, Bryson Stott was a good example in terms of that because we'd all seen him in the fall league and uh, he looked he looked really good uh, you know and, and just hearing about guys who made a lot of progress uh, you know, a lot of buzz in Blue Jays camp about Ricky Teedman. Uh, it was a, a lefty from junior college in, in California, in my neck of the woods, super athletic, um, and has just uh, kind of turned himself into a, a into a, a, be, a bit of a beast. And granted, it's just bullpen sessions so far, but has been throwing really, really well. The Blue Jays are really excited about him and some of their other arms. Uh, all of them show, shown up in good shape and throwing harder. You mentioned. Um you know, a, a few new farm directors. Um, are there are there more new farm directors this season than than you guys can remember in a while? It looks, it, if I'm not mistaken, there are eight new farm directors. That seems like a lot. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's eight. I'm looking at the same list you're looking at our our master document for the our prospect watch lists, and there's even some guys on there who I think are new who don't have new next to their name. So it might be closer to 10 or 12. Um, yeah. And it's, I don't know if it's just, you had a lot of kind of reworking of front offices coming out of the pandemic, but yeah, I don't remember this many new farm directors at once. And I, you know, unless we're tying it to the pandemic and, you know, teams restructuring front offices, I don't even know what the reason would be for that. So, Jim, um, I know you obviously have not been out uh, on your spring training trek yet, but uh, what's got your attention so far early on? Yeah, I've just been kind of tracking stuff uh, while writing uh, top 30 blurbs, just kind of watching what our correspondents have been out to in Arizona. And you know, I noticed the other day uh, Juan Trevio, our Dodgers writer, posted a uh, uh, video of Diego Cartaya of the Dodgers just absolutely – uh, pulverizing a ball uh, in Dodgers camp. And, it, you know, I mean, look, I'm not basing this on one swing, but I, but I do wonder if Cartaya is a guy who 
you know, he's already ranked really high on our top 30, our top 100 prospects list at the end of the 2021 season. Um, he's going to rank even higher coming into 2022 when that list comes out. And I wonder if he's going to really push for the top of the list by the end of the season. I mean, he was, he was pretty spectacular last year too. He, he didn't get to play a whole season. Um, you know, so we didn't get to see a full season's number worth of numbers out of him, but for a, a guy who was, you know, the best prospect internationally in the 2018 class when he was 19 years old and the Dodgers sent him to low a, you know, he had wound up having some back issues. So he wound up not playing the full season, hamstring and back issues. But I mean, he hit in 31 games, he hit 10 home runs in low a in, in, his, in his introduction to full season ball. Um, and so when I saw that, that clip from, from Juan, it made me think, okay, uh, <laughs> like more of the same. I mean, he, we, we might be talking about him. He, it's possible he could be the number one prospect in baseball. I, I do think he has that kind of upside, very talented offensive defensive player. I saw uh, the other day, um, Mario Gordado uh, wrote a story about Sam Bachman. I'm getting my correspondence confused. I'm sorry. Red Bollinger wrote a story about Sam Bachman uh, with the Angels, who – was one of the more fascinating guys in last year's draft where he, you know, had a fastball that was triple digits and he had a, a wipeout slider. And, you know, he, you know, th- there is some issue, you know, it's, it's not the prettiest delivery. It's not, you know, he's, he's had some injury issues in the past. So there, there's a little bit of caution. Maybe there's some reliever risk there, but the stuff is, is pretty spectacular. You know, the big question I think is going to be, you know, is he a starter? Is he a reliever in the long run? And, and so anyway, Rhett was writing about how, you know, the angels are working with him to really develop a change up. He's got one with some heavy sink on it. That could really be difference makers. He tries to stay in the rotation. And, you know, he talked about, I mean, he knows people are talking about him possibly moving through the minors pretty quickly. And he's trying not to, not to worry too much about that. But, you know, that was kind of interesting. I, you don't know what we're going to wind up getting, in terms of minor league games when I got to Arizona, but I would love to see him pitch when I get out there. And then another guy who I think is really going to fly up charts this year, and this was a Mario Gordado story I was talking about, um, who used to be our Angels writer, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I want to say I remember running into her at Angels camp a couple of years ago, but she wrote a story about Luis Matos now that she's covering the Giants, who was the MVP in, in low A West, just an outstanding young center fielder in the Giants system. And it was interesting, you know, you know, he, he dreams big, I guess is the best way to put it. Like he, he wants to, he, he's heard some Ronald Acuna comparisons. I don't know if he quite has that kind of power, um, but you know, he wants to surpass Ronald Acuna, which is obviously a, a good goal to have, like might as well shoot high. And he talked about how, you know, even though he's, he's got elite bat to ball skills, he under my dogs are very excited about Luis Matos. If you can hear them in the background too, um, even though he has elite bat to ball skills, that he knows he needs to be more selective at the plate. So I thought it was it was kind of a good level of understanding. Even though he's had a lot of success, he knows that you know he, he's got to make better swing decisions, uh, you know, as he goes forward. So uh, it, it, just reading these stories at MLB.com has me even more excited about going out and, and seeing these guys in the Cactus League in, in about ten days or so. All right, and we mentioned that Jonathan had a chance to talk to Detroit's dynamic duo of Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, you'll hear that. That's coming up next on the MOB Pipeline Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo down here in Florida. I've been running around camp to camp. Early on, I went over to Lakeland, Tiger Town, USA, as they like to call it, and had the chance to talk to, I won't even say arguably, clearly the most exciting hitting tandem in any organization, and they're knocking on the big league door. That's Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. Here is my conversation 
with the dynamic duo. All right, I thought we could have some fun just having the two of you. I know people probably talk to you guys about each other, but how often do you guys get to like talk to each other about each other, Tom? Um, I guess, you know, you guys have sort of been able to come up together to a certain extent. When do you feel, was there a moment where you guys kind of like solidify the, uh, we'll call it a bromance, why not? But you know, like just the, the, that you guys are really bonded? Such a, when you answer first. Um, well, it started in Instructs uh, after the draft. The whole COVID year was a little different. Uh, we got the all side together, but that was tough, you know. Uh, it was tough to build a relationship with, you know, we were kind of like mass. You couldn't see if they're smiling. And, um, but at Instructs, it was really cool. I, I didn't have my car down here, so Riley was my ride. I mean, that's where the, the bromance started, I'd say. Right? Yeah, definitely, definitely around that time. Um, yeah, we, I, was, I was driving them every day. We were the only two people staying in that hotel together. So like we would like, just like hang out like after after our days and stuff. Yeah, definitely, definitely add on. You're forced to, yeah. Hey, it's a good thing that you get along with each other, right? What would, I mean, that's a lot of forced time with one other person. I mean, like everyone during COVID, right? You had a limit who you were hanging out with. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely nice having someone close to, close in age and who uh, understands the game, but also understands, you know, gotta have a life outside of baseball to have fun how much is it like talking about baseball talking about hitting i mean both of you i've talked to before your your ability to talk about hitting is is way advanced for how old you guys are but like how much is it you guys like breaking down at bats and how much of it is like doing normal young people things uh, you know i'd say it's about 10 percent baseball conversations outside of the, outside the field and then about 90 percent just being us, being friends, having fun, but um, it's a little different. Riley's keys and hitting are are special, and um, he was talking to me about like how he wrote just rotates, and I, I try to do it for a couple of swings. I'll just hook him balls. So, so whatever works for him doesn't work for me, and uh, maybe vice versa. But it's a it's, it's a fun conversation. Right? Um, yeah. You know, we I feel like we try to stay away from those conversations. Just because, you know, we, it's a full day of baseball. We kind of want to go home and, you know, do something else. You know, whatever, golf or or play play video games and, and things like that. So, but yeah, I mean, we'll talk about like some ABs. You know, I feel like mostly we just talk about just like where that pitch was and kind of like the approach side of everything. So, yeah, but we we usually just try to like, just try to flush things and just kind of go about our day. I was going to ask, like, what what is non-baseball stuff for 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 you? So, is, is it golf and, and video games? Are those the main things? Golf and video games are the majority. Yeah, uh, I try to I try to play PGA, but I always lose, so it's like it's really no fun for me. But it's fun for them because they always beat me. So, <laughs> well, that's that's combining golf and video games into one thing. Yeah. Um, on the golf course, who's better? I'd say Torque's better. We're both no good, but <laughs> Riley, it's impressive. You know, Riley picked up golf like two years ago, and he hit he hits from the right side in, on the course, and it's he bombs the ball. It's it's impressive. Yeah, I hit a I hit a power slice, so <laughs> I just play it. I just accepted the fact that I'm gonna slice the ball, so I just play it. Yeah, and he aims over there, and one the one that's straight, you know. <laughs> a well, you got to do is like a guy who throws like a natural cutter, right? You just throw it to the plate and let let the slice yeah. do its thing, right? Exactly. So maybe aim in this way and yeah. let the slice do its thing. Oh yeah, it works most of the time. <laughs> you guys aren't pitchers, so you don't have to be good at golf, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, how did how's it that you ended up golfing right-handed? Uh, my dad's kind of crazy, and he's like, "Bro, <laughs> I don't want you to mess up your swing. You're golfing right-handed." I said, "All right, that's fine." So. Because I mean, I'm left-handed, like full-on left-handed. I took golf lessons right-handed because they didn't have left-handed clubs when I was a kid. So, like, that's, I don't golf anymore. But that is neither here nor there. What, um, what's something that each of you wanted to ask each other but haven't been able to? Can you think of anything? Anything I've wanted to ask Riley, I've asked. Him. Yeah, yeah, Nothing same with crazy. me. Yeah, we. There's no really like filters around us. <laughs> like we kind of just ask away. So. All right. Well, then, what's something that each of you has asked that you're like, "Wow, I can't believe you just asked me that." I need to think about that one. <laughs> we can come back to it. We can come back. You guys are are, are roommates now too, right? So, um, how how much comfort is there knowing that you know? Forget about like breaking down at bats and things like that, but just this process. It's you know, it's a long season. You're trying to get to Detroit. Um, 
I know both of you guys are competitive. You want to get there. Like knowing that you guys are both going through it almost step by step, like at the same time. So even just the, the, the difficulty and the grind of it, you, you can kind of know that there's someone there who's doing it with you. No doubt. It's definitely nice. Uh, you know, there's a spotlight on both of us and it's not on one guy and uh, we kind of, we like to share it and um, go out there, compete and try to win baseball games. And, you know, off the field, we just hang out and um, yeah, just be us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it definitely makes me comfortable that like, like I'm around torque and things like that. And, you know, we're just, we're just going out there and having fun, trying to win baseball games, like you said. So, Is there a certain point where the, the, the spotlight of being a, a top pick, I mean, and even more so for you, Spencer, because you were the number one overall guy, uh, does that go away? And is it helped by the fact that, again, that's another thing that like, yeah, all right, now we're just guys trying to make it to the big leagues? Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, you kind of got to grind through it at first because no one's used to that that type of spotlight. And then, you know, once you uh, you get through that and then having Riley being a, a top pick, just it really helps out because we're both in the same position. Yeah, you know, I feel, I feel like we try not to think about it too much. You know, we try to stay off Twitter and social media as much as we can. Just, you know just don't pay attention to all that stuff. We just try to just focus on just playing baseball and winning games. You just have to deal with hacks like me asking you about it all the time. <laughs> um, talk a little bit about going to the Futures game together. Um, I saw you guys there. Um, Spencer, I will always thank you for helping me win the home run derby contest against Callis. Um, Riley, you told me you were a singles hitter at the time. Mm -hmm. I just want to remind you of that. But like, just have you been able to look back at that? Again, another thing that you guys were able to do together? Yeah, really fun, really fun experience. Denver, I, I've never been to Denver in the in the summertime, and it was beautiful. And you know, they 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 did it right that whole event. And you know, it was obviously great going with Riley, but it's awesome meeting the other the other prospects that we're going to be playing with, you know, and against um, a long time. Yeah, yeah, same as um, as Torque said, just just being able to just be there on that field, you know, playing against like the best of the best, uh, being there with Torque and. Know, just just having fun I mean and that stadium was incredible hitting BP there was awesome so yeah I got jammed on a couple of those yeah <laughs> you can still hit it out there though if you, yeah. even if you get jammed um I know that uh we rode you a little bit for your mustache during the fall Riley clearly has superior facial hair game Riley is there any advice you can give Spencer to help him out I would say keep the stash uh, I mean I mean shoot I love it so Stash had hits in it. Had, it if it has hits, I'll, I'll, I'll do ugly. a stash too. So. I'll be ugly for hits. <laughs> Austin Wells said the same exact thing yesterday. <laughs> no, so. his stash is good. He looks yeah, good. He, he's got a legit stash. That's that's fair enough. All right. Um, imagine for a second that you guys aren't baseball players. Like, what would the two of you want to be doing? I would assume it would be together at this point. I'd, I'd probably be a lifeguard or like a firefighter or something. Yeah. We were shagging BP the other day, and I was like, damn, if I didn't play baseball, I think. I think I'd be a firefighter just because like you know I, I feel like you're you're always with the team you're, it's a oh, team yeah. thing and uh, when you're not on call you're just hanging out with the boys and that's, that's what we like to do there are some similarities there I think yeah. uh, I think that's uh, that's a good point which one of you gets to Detroit first I don't know yeah not not gonna say that I mean I mean we're gonna work as hard as we can and, you know we'll see what happens what would it be like if say like the stars align and you guys get called up together it'd be awesome you know it'd be really fun to share that with riley and i'm sure it takes some pressure off the both of both of us oh yeah you know i mean that'd be like the greatest thing i mean just being able to go up with him and you know, play our first games together so my thanks to Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. A lot of fun to, to interact with them. And I had a lot of fun the next day when I headed over to Blue Jays camp in Dunedin, Florida, the longtime home of the Toronto Blue Jays. Beautiful, relatively new facility that they're uh, getting to, to use right now. And I had some great conversations, uh, including with their new farm director, Joe Sclafani, former Houston Astros farmhand, and one of their top infield prospects, Jordan Groshans, here is my conversation with Jordan. All right, let's start. You know, last year, uh, huge learning curve for you. Um, but from what, even the way you've talked about it, just how you were able to approach those lessons and take them in is maybe something you wouldn't have been able to do earlier yeah. in, in, in your career. Yeah, you know, it was a lot. You know, I worked with 
couple mental guys, you know, just getting getting back right where I need to be mentally and, and learning to embrace failure, not let it consume me, you know, um, learn to bounce back, maintain my routine, stuff like that. So um, it was really beneficial in the last year, and now I'm looking forward to carrying it into this year. It's a hard balance, isn't it? Because, like, obviously you want to be the best of the best. Yep. And from every, you know, people tell me that you have huge expectations, yep. but that's not uncommon here. Yeah. But it's also 500 at-bats. Like, yeah. you know, you can't live and die by every at-bat. How, how do you keep working on finding that balance? Just knowing that it's a game. You know, it's nothing more than what we played when we were younger and doing what we do now. It's just professional. That's it, you know. So learning to balance the outside life in baseball has been been huge. So. We'll talk a little bit about sort of swing mechanics and things like that because I know that was probably that's something that you were yeah. reluctant to embrace. And again, I think it's a balance, right? Sometimes you just got to let it rip. But yeah. you know, tell me a little bit about how you've changed your swing, sort of brought in the launch angle stuff without kind of losing who you are. You know, me and my dad. My dad's my hitting coach. You know, he's worked with me since day one. Knows my swing better than anybody. Um, and we just worked on you know keeping it simple. You know, cutting it down, cutting down the leg kick, not getting big. Um, controlling what I can control, working the zone, uh, swinging at good pitches. So nothing really huge mechanically, just toning it down a little bit. When people ask you about when the power is going to come, you know, do you get frustrated by it? Do you understand it? You know, because obviously there's the old adage that power is often the last thing to come. You know, is that something you sort of just learn like, all right, people yeah. are going to want to know? I just, you know, I've learned to be, the way I view it is be a hitter before before that you know if you can have a good foundation you can be a hitter the power will come um, just getting older more developed um, it'll be there so it doesn't frustrate me it's annoying sometimes to hear because it's just like I don't I'd, I'd rather hit 300 with 10 than 220 with 30 so um, but that's just how I am or maybe the truth some lies yeah. somewhere in between yeah. when all is said and done right yeah um, I guess the same thing with, with defense like you've had to embrace this idea yeah. of Right, you know, because I remember entering pro ball in the draft, they were like, "Well, is he going to get too big for shortstop?" Yep. And you probably were like, "I want to prove everyone I play short." Absolutely. So sliding over to third, it's not a, it's not a demotion. Yeah. Like, talk a little bit about your evolution and thinking about yeah. playing both positions. The way I view it is, wherever they need me is wherever I'm going to play. You know, so they've they've developed me really well at shortstop, but they're they're starting to split time short and third. And it's all the same. You know, it's just taking what I know from short and applying it to third and, and being the best player I can be at that position. So. Joe was saying that you've really sort of taken a lot of sort of uh, things regarding mobility yeah. and flexibility and things like that. How has that impacted you defensively? Huge. I mean, I remember my first year, I could barely bend over and touch my toes, you know, and that was, it was hard, you know, going through ups and downs defensively. Had, had a, I wouldn't say bad, just kind of struggle with, with body positioning and getting to a, a good spot to feel the ball. So being able to be loose now, more mobile has helped me, you know, move, helped with my range, being able to get down and, and be more consistent. So it's huge. I'm sure you get a lot of questions about having a brother in pro ball, Absolutely. but having a, having a sounding board like that, even if you're not talking about uh, what do you do on this backdoor slider, but just the, the grind and the day-to-day, -day, how much do you guys benefit from each other? Yeah, a lot. You know, that's my best friend. It's my brother. I love him to death, and he's a hell of a player, too. You know, so we, we feed off each other, and, and we take notes and, and work with each other and, and try and bring the best out, you know, so he helps me being a catcher, you know, kind of read pitches, sequences, stuff like that's huge, so best of both worlds any friendly competition about who's going to get to, to the big oh first? absolutely i uh you know he had a really good year last year um so he might he might beat me there you never know but it was it was it's always good competition going up and, and seeing who's going to get there first so yes i mean i also wanted to ask you just in terms of that sort of support uh to have a high school teammate yeah. in your organization in, in cloth like what that you know obviously it's apples to oranges because yeah. he's a pitcher but what has that been like just coming from the same place and going through the same process it's been good you know having him having your best friend with you is huge you know he uh we help each other we help the transition a lot smoother you know getting here high school guys it's hard a lot you know being around older guys that have been through it so having him with me has been really good and we we feed off each other and work with each other so it's huge right, the last one for you is just, uh People always love to talk about comps. We get hammered all the time, uh, you know, on, on when we're on TV. Like, what is the best MLB comp that you've heard about yourself? Probably Tulowitzki. I think that's one of the better ones. Um, just I like the way he played, and, and when he was here, he he took a young kid, took me aside, and worked with me, and took time out of his day. And for me, I'll be grateful for that forever. So, um, being able to play like him, he was a leader. He could really play. I mean, it's Tulo, you know. So. Being able to be compared to that's huge. I really like it. 
flip side is sometimes the comps don't make any sense. Is yeah. there like a, a, a terrible comp? And not disparaging against the player, but yeah. just like, I don't play anything like that guy. <sighs> I haven't heard a whole lot of bad ones. Um, I'll have to get back to you on that. That's, but that's fine. There's been a couple that I was like, eh, I don't think that's right. <laughs> so, great. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Very special thanks to Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, Jordan Groshans, all of them for taking the time to talk to Jonathan uh, and join the podcast here. Uh, Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, and Jonathan Mayo. And uh, I mean, Jonathan uh, Torkelson and Green, in addition to being, you know, obviously two of the best prospects in all of baseball, uh, a pretty great uh, relationship there and pretty fun to watch those guys together. There's just an ease with which they interact with each other. Uh, you know, even though I was you know recording on video, it was just sort of like they were chatting with e- each other and they would just kind of pick up the conversation uh, where one left off. Um, yeah, there there is a, a, a naturalness. This isn't a, oh, we've learned how to get along with each other because we're working together and things like that. They, they, they clearly have become very close friends and, you know, it's a part of development that doesn't get talked about a, a lot. You know, we're having two players, you know, roughly similar age, um, be able to sort of go through a process together. Uh, it just makes it so much easier. The transition to each level, things like they got promoted to AAA on the same day. Um, you know, so it, I, I, it's going to bode well for them when they get to Detroit and, you know, if all goes well, they get there at the same time and there isn't one of them who feels that they have to kind of shoulder the burden of being the face of the franchise or the one who's going to turn things around. You know, it's they're two of uh, this rebuilding process, but that that they're in it together. And guys, I was actually I was equally impressed with Jordan Groshans. I like who, you know, Jim, you talked to him a couple of years ago uh, and obviously guys mature uh, and things like that. But one of the things that really impressed me with him is his ease of talking about the lessons he learned last year and the maturity. And, you know, I read, I had read some stories before I talked to him about how much he grew, you know, at, with the year that he had last year, which on the surface, you know, wasn't a terrible year. It just wasn't, it wasn't great. And the power didn't show up, but, you know, this is a guy who's always been very hard on himself and, you know, that was sort of, seep out in other in, in other ways he could be i don't say prickly but you know like it, it was a little edge and he he has grown up a lot uh he learned a lot from last year uh you know especially that the idea that you know he doesn't have to live and die with every at bat uh so i was very impressed with how he sort of thinks you know about his mental approach to to the, to the game and uh, on a day in and day out basis yeah, I'll be interested to see how he does this year, Jonathan, because you know, I liked him back in the 2018 draft. He was one of those guys that, you know, when we ran our list by people in the industry, we'd have scouting directors tell us, you know, you have him too high. Like, I think we had him in the 20s on our list, and I was like, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a pretty good package of tools and a first-round pick to me, and he went 12th overall. But because of injuries and the pandemic layoff, it, it's crazy, but he's only played 146 games in the minors right. in – you know, basically three and a half, what would have been three and a half minor league seasons. So, you know, and despite that, he's risen to double A at a fairly young age. But, you know, he, and even last year, he only played 75 games, which which doubled his previous career total. But I, I'm really curious to see how he fares in 2022. I hope he stays healthy the entire season. And then I think we'll have a much better idea of exactly, uh, you know, how good he's going to be. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to discuss some of the details uh, that came out over the weekend regarding a potential international draft. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Uh, Jonathan, you were, of course, uh, busy in Florida, venturing from camp to camp over the weekend. Um, Jim, I know this was something that caught your attention and it caught a lot of people's attention because I don't, there hadn't really been a lot of talk about uh, MLB's proposal of an international draft within the CBA negotiations. Um, I hadn't heard much talk about it at all. Um, and then on Saturday, uh, Anthony Castrovitz wrote a story uh, which kind of detailed what MLB's proposal is. And there were a lot of details in there. Um, a 20-round draft proposed, uh, which would consist of more than 600 picks, uh, regular picks plus competitive balance selections. Um, and the selections would be guaranteed because the clubs would not be allowed to pass on its selection. Now, th- this is all uh, just a proposal. Um each slot in the draft carrying a guaranteed signing bonus amount. First pick being $5.25 million, um, which, uh, according to Major League Baseball, would then ensure more money in aggregate to those 600-plus picks than was spent on more than 1,000 international players in the last full signing period prior to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Um There would be no limit to the number of players who could sign if they weren't drafted. Um, And they estimate that uh, players who are selected um, and those who sign after they're not selected, there would be an increase in spending of about 13 to 15 million dollars. Signing age would remain the same, 16. Uh, All players would be subject to a mandatory drug test. Draft picks could be traded. there'd be a signing deadline three weeks after the draft and each club would be randomly assigned to a group of six clubs and each group would then rotate through the draft order over a five-year period. So the draft order would not be tied to team record as it is with the amateur draft. Um, Rather clubs would have equal access to international talent over the life of the CBA. And uh, regarding those supplemental selections in an effort to grow the game, Clubs would receive supplemental selections for drafting and signing players from non-traditional international baseball countries. So, uh, I'll just uh, I'll put it out there pretty generally to both of you guys. What were your immediate impressions uh, upon seeing the details of this? It, it really intrigued me. And it was funny because literally the day before, I was talking uh, top 30 prospects with a team. And we were done with talking about prospects. We were talking about the CBA negotiations. And he said, have you heard anything on the international draft? And I said, you know, I really haven't, you know, it's obviously not a front burner issue, you know, all the other stuff that's come out in the media. Um, You know, I know that MLB seems to want one, but I've literally heard no details. And then the next day, uh, Anthony Castrovitz had this story with a bunch of details. And and I thought, I mean, there were a number of interesting things. Um, You know, the, 
the slotted bonuses where they're locked in, you pick a guy, this is what he gets. I mean, that's obviously not what they have in the amateur draft, but there, there's no, hey, we're going to save money on this pick and then spend it on a later pick and try to slide guys down. You know, so there, there won't be that. Um, you know, it seems like, you know, they, they're trying to, instead of save money or cap the money at what the spending has been in the past, you know, they're, they're, they're accounting for some growth in what would be spent internationally. There there's full trading of draft picks. Um, the, you know, the, you mentioned Jason, the last thing you mentioned, you know, the, if you sign players from non-traditional countries, you would get bonus picks for, I guess, you know, growing the game. Um, you know, and, you know, it's, these are more details than I've ever seen before. So I was really intrigued. I mean, and I think the most important thing is, is, is I think you talk to people who do, and, and, you know, Jesse Sanchez does a lot more of this than Jonathan and I do, but you talk to people who are involved in international scouting and the system that we have now where you can't sign until you're 16, but players are committing as young as 13 or even 12 years old, years in advance. You know, it's like you're, you're scouting sixth and seventh graders and trying to get them to verbally commit to deals. It's, it's not a system that's good for baseball or good for the players and, you know, I think is, is you're, it skews younger and younger where you're trying to lock up guys well in advance of when they can sign. People are just getting more and more uncomfortable with this system. So it seems to me, Jonathan, that this seems to be like a fairly well thought out proposal that seems pretty fair. You know, it, it's not like they said, oh, you know, the number one pick in the international draft is a two million or three million dollar slot. It's five point two five million dollars, which is almost as much as the highest bonus pools are, um, you know, these days. So I, I thought it, it seemed, you know, I haven't done a lot of study or dug deep on, you know, beyond what Anthony wrote, but it seems like a pretty equitable system to me. Yeah. And, and, and keep in mind, as Jason said, that this is a proposal. So this is a starting point, you know, <clears throat> presumably, uh, will it get tweaked? Yeah, probably. Maybe there's some things here or there that we're not thinking of, uh, that, that, that could, you be added or subtracted, but I, you know, it does sound that, you know, the more time has gone on with how, uh, things transpire, um, particularly in Latin America, that something needed to be done, um, to make it a more, uh, equitable system and something that's fair, not only fair amongst all 30 teams, but fair to these kids, um, you know, to the, these things being, you know, these kids being pushed to, uh, you know, make agreements that young and, uh, you know, part that, you know, if if performance enhancing drugs are really starting to uptick more because of those deals being made early, uh, w- whether this system offsets that more, I, you know, well, we'd have to wait and see. But, you know, it, it is kind of interesting because I kind of put this in the back of my head because it had been talked about for a long time. Then, you know, Jim, as you said, like, you know, Jesse does a lot more of this kind of work than, than we do. Anytime it, I talk to anybody who sort of did any work on an international scouting uh, at all, there was this general kind of like, I don't, I don't know how that kind of system would work based on how things operate. Um, so I kind of had put it out of my mind, but uh, this, I do agree with you, Jim, this is, this is very, very detailed. This wasn't just like a, here's a rough outline of some ideas that we, you know, are hoping to, to address. So this, this is a system and uh, I'll be curious to see where it goes from here. I mean, I do think the one complaint that some teams would have and about any draft in general is it hurts the teams who work hard to build relationships. Again, I'm not talking about signing guys when they're 13, but there's any number of instances where team builds a relationship with a player and, you know, he might sign for less money because he's more comfortable with that team. And he has a relationship, you know, with a scout that's, that's he's known for a while. Um, you know, and, and this takes that away now, you know, I mean, again, you can argue this is more equitable. Everybody has an equal chance at the players and it's random. It's not just, Hey, you know, if, you know, the Orioles and Pirates have picked at the top of the last couple drafts. They get, you know, they're going to be picking at the top of the international draft every year. That's not going to happen. But I, I do think we will hear some of those complaints that the teams who feel like they're doing a really good job internationally will feel like, you know, they obviously won't be able to necessarily get as big a haul as they've gotten accustomed to because now you're basically getting one pick 
you know, out of, you know, every 30 selections and, you know, just, I, I like thinking about a team that I do, like, I don't know necessarily that the Giants would be able to build an international class like they did a couple of years ago where they got Marco Luciano and Luis Matos and Jairo Palmares, um, who are three of their very best prospects all in the same draft. That was great scouting by them. Um, and, and so like things like that would be more difficult to, to put together, but it would be, it would be, um, I, I, like I said, I, I, I think while those teams would be upset, I mean, this seems like a more equitable system. And then the bottom line is I think MLB, MLB's biggest issue, you know, and, and even Rob Manfred, you know, the commissioner, when he was talking about this uh, and told reporters it would reduce abuses. I mean, that, that's the biggest issue with this is it's not good for baseball. It's not good for the players. It's not good for anybody to have teams entering into verbal agreements with 12 and 13 year old players. And, you know, like you said, I mean, it, you know, the, the, the pressure or, or, you know, incentive to take performance enhancing drugs increases. It's like, none of that's good. And this would get away with that because obviously if you're going to a straight draft, I can develop a relationship and spot, you know, this great young player that I think is going to be a superstar when he's 12 or 13 years old and the draft's random. I, I have no idea whether I'll be able to, to get the guy anyway. So, you know, hopefully it, it will clean things up. I, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see how that, uh, how the negotiations surrounding that develop. Okay. Let us uh, wrap this thing up with a question from the mailbag. And this may be a debut from uh, our question asker. We, we have several uh, people who uh, are very uh, good about sending in questions and have been repeat uh, performers. Uh, Neil Mills, I think this is a first on the podcast, at Neil B. Mills asks, which player from the 2021 draft class is most likely to debut first? So uh, before you guys answer this question, let's Flashback to July of last year, and right after the draft, we always do a story that asks this exact question, uh, but now we are you know, nearly a year uh, past that point. So I'm kind of curious uh, how much your responses might differ now from what they were then. And Jim, you wrote this story. Uh, you listed the, the players here alphabetically. Uh, Sam Bachman. Uh, Angels, number nine pick. Will Bednar, right-handed pitcher, Giants, number 14 pick. Henry Davis, number one overall, Pirates catching prospect. Jack Leiter, number two overall, Rangers, right-handed pitcher. Ty Madden, number 32 overall. Matt McClain, uh, Reds shortstop pick, number 17. Uh, Kumar Rocker, who I think we can probably safely uh, remove from, from this conversation this time the Mets number 10 pick and Jordan Wicks who was taken number 21 by the Cubs so uh, I guess first of all how many of these names remain on your list and and what are the new names that you might consider um you know I haven't done a uh, another list I mean I think you know Kumar obviously didn't sign I think all the other guys would kind of be in play um, I think they'd be obvious. I think probably the the lowest ranked, lowest drafted player who jumps to mind, and I'm not saying he'd pass these guys, would be Nick Nestrini of the Dodgers, who's just shown insane stuff since he signed as a fourth-round pick after a rough spring at UCLA. And if he throws strikes, I think he's going to shoot up pretty quick. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think essentially you could take any of the college first-round picks. You know, I, I didn't mention Colton Kowser, but I, I could see Colton Kowser moving through the Orioles system pretty quickly. Maybe um, you know, Sal Frelick with the with the Brewers, another outfielder. I, I could see guys like that moving quickly. You may be a polished pitcher like a Michael McGreevy with the Cardinals, but um, I, I, you know, if I were doing another list today, I think I would have many of those same names. Yeah, Freilich and McGreevy were the two like non on the list that I was thinking of. And Freilich, I think, is sort of in the same bucket as Matt McClain, just in terms of that, you know, advanced college hitter with an advanced approach. So, you know, they they have the chance to to move pretty quickly. And you know, and thinking of McClain in the Reds organization, the Reds have not shied away from pushing college bats, you know, up their ladder pretty aggressively. Uh, and McGreevy 
uh, you know, out of Santa Barbara. I, I really liked, you know, his his size and his stuff, but his feel for pitching is what really stood out. And the Cardinals, you know, tend to know how to develop those kind of guys quickly. So I think that, you know, th- those make the most sense. And, you know, the, I think the only thing that would keep Henry Davis from not being among the first is because of the catching element, um, you know, that might take a little more time before they're ready to bring him big leagues. Like, I don't think it'll surprise anyone, uh, even those who believe that he will be a big league catcher, you know, full time, that his bat will be ready before his glove will. Well, I think we should have you guys put $25,000 on this and uh, pick the one, pick your one guy who's going to be the first to the big leagues. Uh, Jonathan, since Jim did the research to do the story back then, uh, I'll give you, award you first pick in this draft. I don't have access to the loads of data that Jim poured right. through. Um, I am going to say that it will be Will Bednar in a relief role initially for the San Francisco Giants. Jim, did Jonathan steal your pick? He did not. Um, I will stick. I, I think I wrote at the time that I thought Jack Leiter might get there quicker than anybody on the list, and I'll still stick with him. I, I just think – That's a fair choice. I mean, and, and Jonathan may have been kind because I think he, he knew I may have been, been leaning that way. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy who grew up around the game, so I don't think he's going to be I, I, surprised by anything he faces. I think it's going to be easier for him to acclimate than just about anybody. And then – you know, I mean, just in terms of stuff, I mean, he's got an elite fastball, plus curveball, solid slider, potential solid changeup, competes off the charts. You know, the only question is, I mean, he's, he's never pitched a full season, really. Um, you know, just because of the pandemic, you know, shut down, uh, you know, his freshman year at Vanderbilt, and he didn't pitch summer ball that year. I mean, his career high was the 110 innings he pitched last year, and the Rangers didn't have him throw in a game after he signed. Um, so I, I think that the biggest thing he's going to need to do is prove he can hold up over, you know, a full season starting every fifth day and maybe, you know, refines control and command a little bit. But, you know, the Rangers need pitching and I think he's going to move very, very quick. I, I, I would be, you know, I'm not going to put him in the big leagues this year. Although, again, we have no idea what the CBA is going to look like and what service time considerations will be. But, like, I don't think the Rangers are going to contend. There's no need to rush him. But I would be very surprised if he's not in the least double A by the end of this year and in Texas very early next year. I, I don't know if we'll see a big leaguer this year out of the 2021 draft. Do you, Jonathan? Do you think we'll see one this year? No, I, I think it's unlikely. I mean, sometimes there are guys that we're not even thinking of, you know, relievers coming out who streak through. But uh, gut feel, I think 2023 is probably All right. Thank you to Neil Mills for that question. Thanks to Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green for joining us. Thanks to Jordan Roshans for joining us. And thanks to all of you for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.